Welcome to In the Crime Parlor with Rigor and Mortis. I'm Rigor. I'm Mortis. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's been a well for us. It's been a while. For you guys, it won't be that long. But uh, we have busy lives, so we are trying to bank a bunch of these before we start releasing them, so that doing our best, doing our best. Yeah. So for us, this is just fun. Because we like true crime and, you know, we want to talk about it, so. But we're excited for con men. We are. That is our topic for today. Yeah, we, for those of you who don't know, every week at the end of the episode we spin a wheel. The Wheel of Doom. And Doom. it gives us a, a topic to discuss for the next uh, episode. And at the end of this episode, we'll spin it again and get our next topic, and then we'll do this whole thing all over again. So, uh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna throw something out here because yes. with with our wheel of doom, you put on that this was actually confidence man, and I had never heard it like that. So, do you want to explain a little bit? Uh, Can you explain a little bit? Because I had never heard it as confidence man before. Yes, as I quickly Google. <laughs> So a con man, for those of you who don't know, is someone who performs confidence tricks. And basically a confidence trick is an attempt to defraud a person uh, after gaining their trust. So you build up their, you build their confidence in you in order to take advantage of them. Um, usually you're going to find someone who's quote unquote a mark, who is the target of this con, and they're going to be someone who's more naive uh, not someone who's very worldly or discerning and someone who's pretty trusting um, of strangers. So, okay. And, so, and mine yes. is a confidence woman. Yours is Maybe. a confidence woman. Maybe. Uh, I will say, so we picked these and, uh, and for all transparency, uh, neither of us had time to do any research uh, until about five minutes before the episode. Lies. I started like an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we basically what I mean is we did not. Uh, hold on. Anyway, so um, yeah, so we both did our research today within the last like two three hours. Even though we've not, we've had this topic for like two weeks. Two, three weeks? Something like that. Give or take. Give or yeah. take. It's been it's been a few. It's been a while. So, <laughs> um, but that being said, we do hope that we have some compelling stories for all y'all um, to listen to here. Um, so, before we do that, so um, we decided that part of the fun would be to have a drink that you all can, you know, drink responsibly as you listen to the podcast. And each week um, of one of our stories, and so um, this week, without giving too much away, uh, the drink of the week is called the South Side Fizz. Um, the ingredients include six mint leaves, two ounces or four tablespoons of gin, a half an ounce of lemon juice, a half an ounce of lime juice, a half an ounce of simple syrup or maple syrup, two ounces of soda water, and garnished with a lemon peel and a mint leaf. So, 
Do with that what can't, you will. Can't say it's up my alley. I'm not a huge fan of mint. You're not a hip fan of Are mint? Are I think no, it depends. Not really. In a drink form, I'm okay with it. But in okay. a, um, in a different, like in, like, can, like, candies or things like that, like, I'm not a huge fan. It burns. It burns I'm my like face. a give or take. I like, like, the wintergreen mint, but, like, Wintergreen I can handle. Like, straight, like, mint, like, it's just too everything much. Everything else sucks. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. So that's also why toothpaste is minty. Because people didn't trust toothpaste to clean if it didn't have the burning minty sensation. <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's the random facts that are stored in my brain okay. for these weird, weird moments. Perfect. So, so with yeah. that, with that, do you want to go first? Do you want me your, to go first? I mean, I it it fits your story, so I feel like okay, you should start. Fair enough. Okay, so my story for this week is Count Victor Lustig. L u s t i g. You've never heard of him before? I'm not. No, surprised. I don't. You probably would like recognize some of this, but. Um, my sources are uh, my current my oops, my sources are my Journal Courier and the Smithsonian Magazine. Um, and so, uh, Count Victor Lustig was America's most dangerous con man. Uh, in a lengthy criminal career, he his sleight of hand tricks and get rich quick schemes rocked the jazz era America and uh, rocked jazz era America and the rest of the world. Um, he stole money from a notorious gangster and made lawmen snatch their hair out in frustration. <laughs> um, the, his remarkable legacy uh, is a, the con man's con man. So he... He was he was pretty much one of the people who laid the groundwork for future con men. Yay. Um, he was born in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. He was very uh, he was unusually bright. In prison interviews, he told investigators that he was born in the Austria-Hungarian town of Hostene um, on January fourth of eighteen ninety. This is a village that's uh, arranged around a Baroque clock tower in the shadow of the Kroknos Mountains. K-R-K-O-N-O-S with a shushu E. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what it's called. Um, that, that's, it's now part of the Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, during his crime spree, Lustig has boasted that his father, Ludwig, was the burgomaster or mayor of the town. Um, in recent uncovered prison papers, he describes his father and mother as the poorest peasant people who raised him in a grim house made from stone. Um, in the early 1900s, as a teenager, Lustig scampered up the criminal ladder, progressing from panhandler to pickpocket to burglar to street hustler. According to True Detective Mysteries magazine, he perfected every card trick known palming, slipping cards from the deck, dealing from the bottom, and by the time he reached adulthood, he could make a deck of cards do everything but talk. Oh. So, he started young. Uh, Lustig claimed that he stole to survive, but only from the greedy and dishonest. Robin Hood. Yes. Uh, it, the title of Count was fake, um... Is just the tip of all of his deceptions, but 
um, there's no record <laughs> of any Count Lustig ever existing. So um, he used 47 aliases throughout his career and carried dozens of fake passports. Holy moly. He created a web of lies so thick that even today his true identity remains shrouded in mystery. But he was uh, largely regarded as a handsome man. He dressed like a GQ model, had impeccable manners, and was a smooth talker. Um, he, quote, possessed hypnotic charm, spoke five languages fluently, and evaded the law like a figure from fiction. In fact, the Milwaukee Journal described him as a, quote, storybook character. Um, records show that he was about five foot seven inches tall and weighed 140 pounds. Um, he was referred to by American lawmen, lawmen, as the scarred, the scarred, thanks to a livid two and a half inch gash along his left cheekbone. It was a souvenir from a love rival in Paris, so, you know, helps you paint a picture. According to the crime magazine True Detective, again, uh, Lustig was a man who, quote, society took by one hand and the underworld by the other, a flesh and blood Jekyll and Hyde. So, ooky spooky. Um, after World War I, his criminal career started with crossing the Atlantic on luxury liners. One could argue that his criminal career had already started, but that's, I didn't write it. Um, he made friends easily and soon got on to good terms with all of the richest passengers. When they asked about the source of his wealth, Lustig confided a secret, that he had the Romanian, Romanian money box, um, a box that printed $100 bills. Oh, that's magic. Uh, this would be his most successful scam, but not the one for which he would be the most famous. Um, intrigued by this, his victims always, they always beg to see it. Which I would. I mean, you have a box that prints money, I want to see that shit. <laughs> well, now we, nowadays, <laughs> we have a lot of machines that will print money. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Probably. But, I mean, but yeah, back in the day, wow. Right? Um, he, uh, amid great secrecy, uh, he would eventually show them the wooden box that supposedly contained a complex contraption with rollers and printing plates that fueled by radium, yeah. that were fueled by radium, uh, that printed perfect C-notes, $100 bills. Radium, <laughs> super, super poisonous. Right. Um, that was the, the, what, the radium girls? The Radium Girls, um, yeah. they also, the green, um, like in Victorian England, there's like green wallpaper, hats, Mad Hatter comes from that, like Radium, not good. Um, there's a guy, Eben Byers, uh, he was noted as um, taking Radium to help um, cure himself from some, I don't know, shit I, that he yeah, was going I, I, through. I was going to say, I remember what you were talking yeah. about. And his, his, I, I read his that too, yeah. jaw fell off. Yeah. Yeah, Great. my hand. Yeah. Um, but that powered, that powered this pretty box. Yes, that's what powered this. So he's just carrying okay. around this, like, radioactive box. It's fine. Which probably had nothing in it. Yeah. Or does it? Do you, do you know this? I do. We'll continue. I, Ooh, we shall yes. continue the story. Um, the only problem with this box, uh, Lustig claimed, was it took time. Uh, it took six hours to print a single bill. 
he would twist a few knobs and buttons and turn off the lights and lock the room, and then when they would return, a crisp $100 bill was coming out of the machine. <laughs> then they came back six hours later, and there was another $100 bill coming out of the machine. By that point, uh, dupes were begging him to see the machine, which he always did with great reluctance. Um, each money box fetched between $10,000 and $30,000, and one even brought in $47,000. And by the time Lustig was safely off the ship, the buyers would then discover that the box only contain, contained only blank paper, and he filled it with uh, two authentic $100 bills to deceive them. So by the time the, the jig was up, he was long gone with their money, and they just had a box that print paper that is also radioactive. <laughs> um, And how, hold on, yeah. I think you said this, but how yeah. much were they paying for this $200 box? Uh, $10,000, $10, $10,000, yeah, okay. $30,000, $47,000. Okay, that's, wh that's like, what I thought. I didn't know if that's yeah. like, you know, what it was printing, but holy moly. Yeah. That, that made some cash there. He made some decent money. That was his most successful scam, but the, the biggest okay. one is yet to come. Um, on November 3rd <laughs> of 1919, he married a pretty Kansan named Roberta Norette, and they had a few kids. A memoir by Lustig's late daughter recalls how Lustig raised a secret family on whom he lavished his ill-gotten gains. The rest of the time, uh, the rest he spent on gambling and his lover Billy May Scheibel. Um, she was Billy the, Mays. Billy May Scheibel, uh, the owner, the buxom owner of a million-dollar sex ring racket, <laughs> uh, sex worker racket. So, in uh, and okay, so. So that's all like what he did up until this, and then and then the big stuff. Ready? So 1925, Lustig uh, arrives in Paris in May, and according to the memoir of U.S. Secret Service agent James Johnson, uh, Lustig commissioned stationery carrying the official French government seal, identifying him as a direct deputy director of the Ministry des Postes et Telegraphes. I don't speak French. <laughs> Ministère de the Telegraph Post. I don't know. Fuck it. Moving on. I don't speak French. Yeah. If you know what anyone knows what this is, let me know. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of ironic. Do you speak French? You speak French? No, I mean I know oh, some. I don't. Oh, I can. I can like read and write a little bit, but not speak much. But no, I don't. I don't. I speak. I speak some Spanish and some Italian, and I can say Madame l'édition, s'il vous plaît, in French. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I do understand now your point. Uh, anyway, uh, then he presents himself at the front desk of the Hotel de Crillon, a stone palace in the Palace de la Concorde. Um, and then he, as he's pretending to be a French official, he wrote to the top people in the French scrap metal industry, inviting them to, ho to the hotel for a meeting. So if you're in France, you're in Paris, you're inviting people from the scrap metal industry where you Scrap go from metal. there? Yeah. What's made of metal? The Eiffel Tower! Yes, his goal... Are you kidding? ...is to sell the Eiffel Tower. Oh, man. It's not as <laughs> absurd... It wasn't as absurd then as it is today, because it was built for the okay, 1889 okay. Paris... Yeah. The I assumed it was coming down, yeah. Stop that, baby. Um, he, it was built for the 1889 Paris Exposition, or the World's Fair, 
um, the tower was intended to stand for only 20 years. And when Lustig showed up, it was 36 years old and rusting. It was just a big eyesore. So most of the Parisians wanted it gone at this point. Um, quote, because of engineering faults, costly repairs, and political problems I cannot discuss, the tearing down of the Eiffel Tower has become mandatory, he reportedly told them in a quiet <laughs> hotel room. The tower would be sold to the highest bidder, he announced. And his audience was captivated. This is an aside. This is basically like this weird aside that I thought was actually kind of interesting. Um, he was an amazing con man who liked to boast of his criminal achievements and even penned a list of rules for would-be swindlers that are still circulated today. So I'm going to go through those real quick because I think they're cool. This was a weird part of the article, and I was like, you know what? It's still cool. Lustig's Ten Commandments of the Con. <laughs> One, be a patient listener. It is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coups. Two, never look bored. Three, wait, to the, for, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other fellow shows a strong interest. Six, never discuss illness unless someone special concern, unless some special concern is shown. Seven, Ooh. never pry into a person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you all eventually. Eight, never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Nine, never be untidy. Ten, never get drunk. So, okay. So all of these scrap metal folks, Lustig, they all jump into a limo and they go inspect the tower. Um, and then they like see everything and they come back. Um, back at the hotel, he, invited, he invites them to submit sealed bids by the uh, end of the next day. Uh, one dealer was especially eager to win the contract, André Poisson, Poisson, André Poisson, asked for a private meeting with Lustig. He explained that he was new to Paris and didn't have the insider connections that the other dealers had. Lustig said that he understood and said that as a government bureaucrat, he was also having trouble making ends meet. Wink, wink. Poisson took the hint and he paid the equivalent of $20,000 to purchase the tower and an additional $50,000 to guarantee his bid would win. Lustig was on a train speeding to Vienna within an hour with $70,000, which is worth $1.1 million today. Incidentally, when Poisson realized he'd been conned, he was too humiliated to call the cops. So Lustig got away with it. Now, here's the most amazing part. A month later, Lustig was back in Paris, and he sold it again. It didn't go well this time. That's fantastic. Um, uh, when he sent letters to six more scrap dealers, one smelled a rat and alerted the police. Lustig got wind of this and was on an ocean liner for America when officers showed up at his hotel. So he gets away with it the first time. He almost gets away with it the second time, but he at least escapes with, him, with his $70,000. Um, he winds up in Chicago where he has the chutzpah to hustle Scarface himself. He tells Al Capone he had a great stock deal, but he needed $50,000 to finance it. Lustig promised to double the gangster's money in two months. In exactly 60 years... Days. 60 days later. 60, 60 years, years later. 60 days later. 
He returns all of the $50,000, telling Big Al that the deal had fallen through. Capone is impressed with his honesty and gave $5,000 to invest, which Lustig pocketed and hurried out of town. So he scams Al Capone. And the reason that we have that drink is the Southside Fizz is Al Capone's favorite drink. So that's the tie-in there. Um, like many career criminals, it was greed that led to Lustig's demise. On December 11th, 1928, uh, he's hanging out with businessman Thomas Kearns, um, who invites him to his Massachusetts home to discuss an investment. Uh, Lustig crept upstairs and stole $16,000 from a drawer. Which, one, why are you keeping that kind of money in a drawer? There's safes, there's banks, there's other options. I get it, you don't trust banks. Put it in a safe. Why are you putting it in a drawer? You're just asking for trouble. Put it put it under floorboards. Put it under floorboards. <laughs> and then a house or fire an takes attic. it. Or an attic. Like oh, just know. don't put it in your don't put it in your shoe or your sock drawer. That's like that's stupid. Anyway. Um it was so out of character for the con man and uh, it was so like barefaced and bold that Kearns basically just immediately called the police. So, uh, somehow he still escapes, but... Next, uh, Lustig has the audacity to trick a Texas sheriff with his money box and gives him counterfeit cash, which attracts the attention of the Secret Service, which now it's under Homeland Security, but um, counterfeit money was used to be under the Secret Service. Um, quote, Victor Lustig was a top man in the w- modern world of crime, wrote another agent called Frank Seckler. He was the only one I ever heard of who swindled the law. It was a Secret Service agent, Peter A. Rubano, who vowed to put Lustig behind bars. Rubano was a heavyset Italian-American with a double chin, sad eyes, and endless ambition. He was born and raised in the Bronx and made his name by trapping the notorious gangster Ignazio the Wolf Lupo. Rubano delighted in seeing his name in the newspapers, and he would dedicate many years to catching Lustig. When the Austrian entered the counterfeit banknote business in 1930, Lustig fell under Rubano's crosshairs. At the time, the count was teaming up with gangland forger William Watts, and the two were creating banknotes so flawless that they fooled bank tellers. Lustig Watt notes were the super notes of the area, said Joseph Boiling, Joseph Bowling, not Boiling, chief judge of the American Numismatic Association, a specialist in authenticating notes. So this guy's an expert and can barely tell the difference. Lustig daringly chose to copy $100 bills, those that are scrutinized most by bank tellers, and became, quote, like some other government issuing money in rivalry with the United States Treasury, a judge later commented. It was feared that a run of fake bills this large could wobble international confidence in the dollar, which can be argued that it did, Um, because we are entering the Great Depression. Um, Catching the count became a cat-and-mouse game for Rubano and the Secret Service. Lustig traveled with a trunk of disguises and could transform easily into a rabbi, a priest, a bellhop, or a porter. And when he would dress like a baggage man, he could easily escape any hotel in a pinch and just take his luggage with him, because that's not unusual. But the net was closing in. Lustig finally felt a tug on the velvet collar of his Chesterfield coat on a New York street corner on May 10th. 1935, and then a voice shouts, hands in the air! Lustig is now surrounded by agents and notice Agent Rubano, who then leads him away in handcuffs. 
it was a victory for the Secret Service. But not for long. Um, on the Sunday before Labor Day, September 1st, 1935, Lustig escapes from his inescapable Federal Detention Center in Manhattan. Um, he fashions a rope from bedsheets, cuts through his bars, and swings down like uh, swings down from the window like an urban Tarzan. <laughs> when a group of onlooker, onlookers stops and points, he takes out a rag and pretends to clean the windows, <laughs> like he's a window cleaner. He lands on his feet uh, and then gives the audience a polite bow and then sprints away, quote, like a deer. When the police rush to his cell, they discover a handwritten note on his pillow, which is an excerpt from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. And the quote is, <laughs> He allowed himself to be led in a promise. Jean Valjean had his promise, even to a convict, especially to a convict. It may give the convict confidence to guide him on the right path. Law was not made by God, and man can be wrong. Lustig evaded the law until Saturday night of September 28, 1935, in Pittsburgh. The dashing crook ducked into a waiting car in the city's north side. Watching from a hiding position... uh, (laughs) Yeah, right? Watching from a hiding position, FBI agent G.K. Firestone gave the signal to Pittsburgh Secret Service agent Fred Gruber. Two federal officers leapt from their cars and gave chase. He's in a car. Why are you running? Anyway. Why uh, not? For, for Why not? <laughs> oh, no. It's a race. No. So, uh, I read it wrong. I read it wrong. Two of them. <laughs> it's so much more sense. Please tell me it's reversed. They jumped, they jumped into their car and gave okay, chase. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much more sense now. I'm leaving that in. Uh, for nine blocks, their vehicles <laughs> rode neck and neck, engines roaring. When Lustig's driver refused to stop, the agents rammed in their car into his, locking their wheels together. Sparks fly, and the cars crash to a halt. The agents pull their weapons and throw open the doors, and according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Lustig told his captors, Well, boys, here I am. Uh, Count Victor Lustig was hauled before the judge in New York in November of 1935. Quote, his pale, lean face was a study, and his tapering white hands rested on the bar before the bench, observed a reporter from the New York Herald Tribune. Just before sentencing, another journalist overheard a Secret Service agent tell Lustig, Count, you're the smoothest con man that ever lived. He was sentenced to 20 years in Alcatraz. Ooh. Mm. As, dude, I, I can stop it, Moxie. I swear. You to know what? Me. Can we add? Can we add something to the womb of the the womb of doom? The womb of doom. <laughs> the wheel of <laughs> the wheel of doom. Can we add Alcatraz prisoner? Yeah. Uh, just remind me at the end. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was out there. Okay. Um, as soon as he stepped into Alcatraz. Um, prison guards searched Lustig's body for concealed watch springs and razor blades and hosed him down with freezing seawater. Then they marched him along the main corridor between the cells, known as Broadway, in his birthday suit. Mm. Yeah. There were a chorus of howls, whistles, and the, cha- and the clanging of metal cups on, uh, against the bars. You know how the, you know, the old movies. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, quote, he is somewhat superficially humiliated, end quote, uh, Lustig's prison record said, referring to him as Miller. 
He asserts that he was accused of everything in the category of crime, including the burning of Chicago. <laughs> Whatever his true identity, the cold, the cold weather took its toll on prisoner number 300. By December 7th of 1946, Lustig make a, made a staggering 1,192 medical requests and filled 507 <laughs> prescriptions. <laughs> yeah. Woof. The prison guards... Right? Um, the prison guards believed he was faking and that his illness was part of an escape plan. <laughs> uh, they even found torn bed sheets in his cell, signs of an expert uh, rope that he was making, which we know he knows how to do. He's already done it once. Although I can't really imagine pretending to be a window washer on uh, Alcatraz Island, but <laughs> uh, according to medical reports, Lustig was, quote, inclined to magnify physical complaints and constantly complaining of real and imaginary ills. He was transferred to a secure medical facility in Springfield, Missouri, where doctors soon realized he was not faking it. He died from complications arising from pneumonia. On his Alcatraz prison paperwork, uh, officials called him Robert V. Miller, Robert V. Miller, which was just another one of his pseudonyms. Um, somehow, Lustig's family kept his death a secret for two years until August 31st of 1949. But Lustig's Houdini-like departure from the earth was not even his greatest deception. In March of 2015, a historian named Tomas Andel from Lustig's hometown of Hostene began a tireless search for biographical information about the town's most famous citizen. His search through, he searched through records rescued from Nazi bonfires, poured over electoral records and historical documents. Quote, he must have attended a school in Holstene, Andel reasoned in the Holstene Bulletin, yet he is not even mentioned in the list of pupils attending the local primary school. After much searching, Andel concluded that there is not a scrap of evidence that Lustig was ever born. We may never know the true identity of Count Victor Lustig, but we know for certain that the world's most flamboyant con man died at 8.30 p.m. on March 11, 1947. On his death certificate, a clerk wrote for his occupation, Apprentice Salesman. <laughs> and that is the story of Count Victor wow. Lustig, the man who sold so the Eiffel Tower twice. So, girl, second yeah. time, you've had you've you've reported on someone who's escaped from prison. I know. Maybe that's a theme that I have, unknowingly. I I mean, I feel like I kind of have, like I I saw a link with mine too. So, mine had to do with celebrities. Ooh, go for okay, it. Okay, so, so, my story has to do with a psychic. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I will say, when I started, like, searching, there is a lot of, like, cons and scams with, with psychics. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that that's very understandable. Um, some of these are massive. And I'm reporting, or I'm going to be sharing uh, one that is massive. Okay. So. Okay. So, um, my sources. Uh, Wikipedia, CNN Money, and I think just like CNN um, itself. Uh, there, it, and there's some good books out there that I've like been seeing mentioned. So I mean, I might like do just keep be, going. Be looking. Yeah, I might. Okay. I, I mean, this was so interesting, girl. Okay, so I'm gonna be discussing Maria Duval. Maria Duval. So, okay, this is not Maria Duval. So, Maria Duval was a French psychic who had visions of the world exploding 
and humans living in space. Um, she have, has claimed to successfully predicted elections, uh, lottery numbers, um, help find missing people, and she even says she helped find the missing dog of movie star Brigitte Bardot. Um, and she was also happened to be connected to scamming thousands, like millions of elderly and sick believers of over $200 million. Ew. So, but like I said, very interesting story here. So, um, and, and, and quite honestly, as I was do like doing my research, a lot of the stuff that you find out about her life, you don't find out until like later. Oh, really? So all of this kind of, yeah. So all of this starts back, um, Wikipedia apparently reported that her name at one point was Maria Carolina Gambia, G-A-M-B-I-A, um, and later we find out that that spelling is wrong. So if you now go to Wikipedia, it has the correct spelling, just oh, so you okay. know. Um, Good to know. But Maria was born in Milan, Italy, and later moved to France, um, specifically um, Calas, France. Um, she was kind of became a bit famous, um, had some like run-ins or I guess connections with some celebrities. So there's a celebrity. Um, but she was active um, in the 1970s and 1980s, writing horoscopes, doing some consultations, and uh, we later find out um, that she was on the cover of Vogue Paris. So she, she was quite famous. Um, however, and here's where like things kind of change. Uh, in the mid 1990s, um, Gamba, so her real name is Gamba, mm -hmm. sold the rights to her name. So the Marie, the Maria Duval. Maria right? Duval. Okay. Yeah. So the Duval name. So, um, and apparently during, there's not really like a year, but she had a son, um, Antoine, uh, Palfroy, um, <laughs> who later becomes kind of, he, he's important later in the story. Okay. okay? Fair so, um, I guess kind of a little background about this scam is, um, well, I guess let me, let me kind of finish with the story because like yeah. kind of what we know of her. Yes. Um, so who she was. So she was the psychic, kind of had, was a little bit famous, and then like instantly, like her name is kind of everywhere, and that that has to do with this, the other part. Um, but there's a few, only a few journalists um, that have claimed to actually have interviewed her. Um, there was an Australian radio station um, that she was apparently interviewed on, and it was 15 minutes, and that aired, I believe, in 2000. Um, and it basically just kind of, like, talked about her um, extrasensory abilities and, like, like saying how... That's pretty cool. Like, yeah, like, how, how great she was at, like, I guess, um, kind of, re like, reading the future and things like that. So it, it, was, it was interesting. Um, and I'm going to really mess up this name. Um, so so um, there was another interview... In, I think it was 2007, um, by Jan Van Landendonk. Jan it's a Van Landendonk? Is it yeah, maybe? That is was it, it Swedish? Or I don't 
Because it could be Swedish. Could be Jan. Jan. Okay. Uh, I I apparently didn't copy exactly who that person was. So sorry. <laughs> um, it's okay. But uh, well, they he this guy convinces Duval to sit down with him at, at cafe in Paris um, for a talk, and. Um, I guess it's a TV interview, and she admits that she doesn't sign these letters, and I'll get more to that in just a minute. Okay. Um, but that the majority of her clients are happy, um, and those that were not were offered refunds. And then the last time, mind you, all of these articles that I'm referencing were kind of written in 2016. Okay. okay? There's later an article by CNN in 2018 that kind of goes back and explains some of these things. Um, and then the last sighting kind of before these article, these new articles, um, was there's a appearance in Russia in 2008. So they're seeing the same woman on TV and they're assuming like the radio and things like that. So it seems to be the same person, like I said, tied back to Vogue. Um, same person. Doesn't look like anybody different. Um, so the whole scam was and if you remember i told you that she sold her name in the mid 1990s marie duval okay uh uh, maria duval sorry um so the scam was that her name was going out on these like psychic cards um (laughs) basically asking people um it, it started apparently as um astrology uh charts mm-hmm. okay so people would send money and they would receive their chart um and the scam kind of got a little bit bigger than that so what would happen is when people would respond they would be placed on a list to then be sent more letters and scammed out of more and more money mm-hmm. um so in 2014 um i will say there was a lot of investigation they seem to, and I will say there it's it's a scam. There are a lot of dead ends and a lot of runarounds. And CNN did this amazing, like you, they explain a lot of things in detail. And like I, I, I hate to say I'm like brushing over some of this like super fast, but it, it they have it all in detail. It's great. Um, so basically, they were having all these companies that were supporting these letters. So one company would like make the letters or the cards and then they would get shipped to another company who would card it across the u.s lines and then that company would then mail them another company would mail them out to everybody and then when they would they would all be directed to let's say a p.o box somewhere there would be a company that collects those cards and collects like um the stuff and like because it is a psychic um Eventually, as the scam goes along, the cards, the letters that these people, the victims are receiving are asking for specific things. So, for instance, like provide a lock of hair to help me read your situation better. Um, (laughs) So so one company is literally just dumping all this extra stuff into the trash can. Mm -hmm. Um, Another company is collecting the payments. And then you have a company that obviously is responding um, and and they're responding with these cards that have coffee stains and like they look true you know on like ripped up pieces of paper yeah like someone is on these things yep. down interesting yep. so 
so there apparently these like the the letters were shipped out by like 50,000 at a time um and they were based in that and the other thing is like trying to track down some of these companies um they're based all over the world and this scam has happened over and over and over and when cnn was reporting um and like i said this first article was in 2016 um and at that time uh i, I I'm going to kind of spoil. It was over in the United States because in 2016, the Department of Justice kind of shut down the North America arm mm-hmm. of the scam, which was great. Um, <laughs> but it, it, of course, popped back up in Russia and Japan. Uh, same name. Um, however, sometimes there would be other psychic names. Um, and one of those... Um, and... And this also had to do with like mail fraud and things like that too. And the U S postal service was in on this. Like it it was huge girl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but one of the other, yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the other clairvoyants, the psychics was, um, Patrick Gruen, Greerin, uh, G U E R I N. Urin. Um, urine. Okay. I was like, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong and I probably know how to pronounce this. Um, so, they basically stopped um, these things from being able to be mailed out in the United States. Um, but as I said, they were coming from everywhere. So sometimes your responses were like going to Hong Kong um, or Canada. Um, and then some of the like some of those places were just like mailboxes. So they were everything was just being shipped back and forth and moved around. <laughs> And yet you still had these victims that would respond. Um, and they would wait and wait and wait and then get a letter back in the mail saying like, oh, you know, we had the, these visions about you. And once again, it was always signed Maria Duval. Mm-hmm. So um, CNN Money starts doing kind of their own investigation. I forget when they kind of started. It's probably... Um, very around the timing of uh, when things started to get shut down in the United States because they were running into a lot of dead ends. Um, And one of the things they found was, uh, oh, I forgot to say, she had like YouTube videos up, um, websites. So it wasn't just print. Like it wasn't just being mailed to people. Like this, this was like a whole, I don't know, the empire of Maria Duval, this psychic, you know, Um, so her websites and things like that could be traced back or people's names or, you know, emails were on there. So one of, uh, the Maria Duval.com and .net were owned by this company called Listano Limited, um, and a person named Joseph Patrick DeVitt was kind of connected there um, as the current owner, I believe, of the company. Or the director, sorry. Um, but they were the owner of the trademark two of her name. So, like I said, 1990, she she sold Maria Duval's name. Like, that name. Um, and, and I will say there was money exchanged there for her name. Um, and part of this whole investigation is you know, who truly is this or what is this? Um, so they discover, like I said, Listano limited, and they find the registered address of 
this business. And it is linked, um, I believe, in the UK. And, and, and the same address is listed for, like, over 100 businesses. <laughs> so CNN starts digging and digging. Um, and they end up finding some other people connected to these businesses who who are using the same address. And they're connected to Duvall. So one of those was Andrea uh, Egger, who was a director of an investment company and was a Swiss attorney who had been, uh, who had represented Duval in one of her earliest trademark applications. Um, I guess when she still owned her name. Okay. Um, and it seemed like back before, like there was, there was definitely some lawsuits and things, but they they weren't really truly focused on and obviously nothing stopped this scam or stopped her or stopped any of this happening earlier on. Um, it, like I said, it wasn't into until 2000, like 14 and 16 that a lot of the stoppage happened in New, uh, North America. Um, another man that was connected to, um, this address was a a man named Martin, uh, Detling. And he happened to be named in the U.S. mail fraud lawsuit as the director of one of the companies involved. Mm. So um, CNN tried reaching out. Of course, dead end. They never heard back from them. Um, there was also um, an accountant named Barney McGettigan uh, linked to this address. And they were able to get a hold of him. And he confirmed that they offered a service to some of their clients to allow them to use the office as a registered office. So it kind of seems that's why so many businesses were linked to this one address. Um, so it, it just seems like at that time, there's a lot of dead ends. CNN's reaching out to all these people, all these different names, and they're not getting much or, you know, they're just not hearing what they want to hear or names that are linked. Um, so they found, they finally found someone and he wanted to, or she wanted to remain unnamed, but that source told them to focus on two people. Um, the first one was Jacques Michel Mayland. And the second one was Jean-Claude Ruel, Ru, Ru, Roulet. French. It's, it's French. Yeah, they're very French. They're. I'm telling you, a lot of this was based in French. Or yep. fr in French. <laughs> in France. Um, so he had said Ruel ran Astroforce and Infogest, who were some of the main companies that were linked to sending out um, these letters. Like, eventually they were traced back. And th these are these are, like, two big companies that... Um, were involved. And, and quite honestly, like as CNN kept digging, like these names were popping up, these company names were popping up all the time. So, um, Ruel though, apparently was very careful to kind of keep his name off of things. He apparently had bought some companies and he had put his name on like as Ruel Holdings. Um, and then eventually that turned over, uh, to not having his name on it. So he, he was trying to be careful not to be kind of discovered in this. Um, 
The source, though, stated that Mayland was the mailing genius. So he was the one that had to kind of come up with the story um, of Duval, like, and mailing this stuff out. Okay. Um, so he's the mastermind behind then, that part of the scam. It, yes, and, like, exporting the letters and things like that. Mm. So um, apparently they, and, and Duval, like I said, was kind of famous before this, so that's how they kind of decided to attach her name to this so um the and apparently before this um he had i don't know if he had done this before um but but it, it said he had involved with some mailing campaigns so um and hold on um so they were saying uh Mayland was kind of directed to Duval. Duval was apparently compensated, but they never met in person. Um, and then, oh, sorry, he he had paired her up with two other psychics. That's what I was get, getting at. Sorry, I was like, I knew I wrote that wrong. <laughs> um, so he hadn't done it before, but he had like three psychics that he was doing this with. Um, okay. And Marie Duval was apparently the one whose name kind of just took off and you know, beat everyone else out. They found the, so, the system that worked. Yep. And so as they're digging, CNN's digging, they find that Mayland apparently died in some kind of accident, maybe a motorbike, um, but some kind of accident. And once again, they're kind of able to, unable to confirm this. It's just kind of, you know, another dead end. So, um, however, the... The other one, the one that kind of kept his name secret, um, before 2004, so, uh, you know, quite a few years after possibly starting the Duval, you know, allegedly he's involved, right? No, he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he was involved with some other scams. Mm. So, um, scams like painkiller bracelets, uh, devices that age wine, like instantly, um, and <laughs> shoe insoles that would help you lose weight. Um, and then eventually the insoles were later, to, uh, a part of, uh, FTC settlement and, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars, I think was, um, dim like being told to be refunded. So, because obviously these are all scams. So, um, CNN money eventually reached, um, someone that they believed to be Ruel by email. Um, I believe living in Thailand at the time. Um, and he says, yes, InfoGest was his company at one point. And apparently he bought a bunch of these businesses in 1991. Um, and then he grouped them together, like I said, in Ruel Holding. And that would eventually turn over into InfoGest, which was one of the two companies that were linked back to this whole scam. Um, and then, however, he says he starts to sh uh, sell off some of these companies and um, sell off and like basically resigns. Um, and then eventually he says um, he was a shareholder and then... Um, he decided to retire in 2006 and he basically receives the last payment of the buyout at that point. And he does not say who he sold the business to. Mm. So there's a few people that, 
once again, CNN is following lines and trying to call up all these people. And they find the name Bede Metal, who is a Swiss man, and they can't really find any information about him. Um, and someone, another source, who wanted to remain anonymous, um, confirmed that Mattel was indeed the CEO of this company. Um, however, once again, it's kind of like a dead end because they can't get a hold of him, can't confirm this, right. and things yeah. like that, other than this anonymous source. So then there's another one that kind of pops up, and it's Lucio Perella, um, who was listed um, as an administrative contact for the website. Okay. Um, and apparently he works for a cop, um, a company that is registering the rights of Duval ads in Russia. So, and okay. like I said, at this time, this, this whole scam is kind of going on more recently in Russia. So they're able to kind of follow some other leads that way. Um, so CNN speaks to him through a French interpreter and he acknowledges that he currently sells rights to Duval's books for Listano Limited. So once again, all kind of trickling back to these companies. And this is to uh, DeVitt, who okay. had his name listed and he owns the trademark to her name. So kind of getting more pieces connected. However, Duval isn't the only psychic that Perella has worked with. So there's another clair clairvoyant um, who is uh, Swiss, and his name is Martin Zoller, and he lives in Panama. So um, <laughs> apparently Zoller provides psychic guidance and self-help advice for people around the world for <laughs> a fee. Of course. This time, though, via email. So, Ooh. but apparently Zoller has not been accused of any wrongdoing, at least at the time of, I guess, this article, right? Is he, is he the, the, the Nigerian prince that we've heard I mean, he could about? be, right? I'm sure, right? right? Although he's Swiss and living in Panama, so. <laughs> That's fair. But, I mean, for a fee, you could probably get some advice from him, so. Yeah. So, there's, there's once again, a lot of dead ends, um... And CNN eventually goes to um, Calvas. Ka sorry, I don't know why I say Calvas. Calvas. No, it's Calvas. C-A-L-L-A-S. There's no I in there. Um, which is in the south of France. Um, so they, and I, I can't remember how they end up getting to her. I don't know if her, like, this, I think they maybe find an address. I think at this point they... Poss and, 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 and I don't know if I said this. I, I'm pretty sure I did. They had her name wrong. Um, so they had her as Maria Carolina Gambia, like B-I-A. And it, they later determined that it was Gamba. So they're able to kind of link her back. And they find um, this town that she was once a resident of. And they confirm that... Francois Burr Barr uh, was the personal secretary. So it's just someone in town. Um, I believe she's the mayor. I think. Okay. <laughs> right. All these, all these like it's really weird. Yeah. Right. Career shift. Yeah. Um, so 
they kind of confirmed, yes, that's her house and gave her, gave some like personal details. And quite honestly, it matches what they were told. So, um, oh no, it's at this point that they find out her real name. So it wasn't before they got to France. It was after. So once they met, um, excuse me, um, bar, bar. Um, so they were able to kind of dig up more information using her real last name, Gamba. Um, and they find that there were business filling or filing, sorry, that showed Duval herself had been a sole shareholder of a Swiss firm called Aerofor Astroforce. So this was one of those companies way back. Yeah. That I mentioned. Um, and, and this company was one of the many versions that was like mailing out these, uh, are part of that mailing operation. Right. So, um, they also reveal that she received um, almost 200000 from the liquidation of the company in 2008. Um, so this is the first time that they're seeing that she has received any money from this whole scam. Um, they also confirm that she is born in um, Italy and now lives in France. So they end up, when they're, they're on this trip to France, um, they go up to her residency um, someone says that they, like, she's not there. She's in Rome. You know, they end up tracking down her son. And as CNN's talking to her son, he does confirm, you know, some of that background information. Says, yep, she totally sold her um, name rights for the company. And she was told that they were going to be selling just these charts. And it seems like as she started getting involved, um, and things just kept escalating, she was given contracts, um, to sign that permitted her from speaking out. Um, so it stated in the contracts that there would be some consequences, dire consequences that would be legal and financial, um, if she ever were to try to get out. Um, so that's why when they came in, uh, 2016 CNN, um, they weren't really able to talk to her. Um, and it also said that in those contracts that she had to go and do those, um, like interviews and being on television. So if you remember, I said like the last one that she had was in Russia in 2008. Um, so all of those she was being told to do. And so quite honestly, she, in some of those videos, you know, she would sit there and be like, oh yeah, like it's me. Here's, here's where I look at your letters, um, you know, and confirming I, I sit here and I write, I, you know, I, I right. get the information the about you. This. Yes. Um, and once again, like she's possibly being hold to these contracts and, and quite honestly, one of the, um, articles said that it looked like she's reading from cue cards with that, um, learning from their son later um she su uh, suffered a stroke in 2010 oh. and she had mm. um started um they started seeing signs of dementia in 2013 Oof. and then she was later diagnosed with it so um in 2018 so two years later there the cnn uh goes back and they're actually able to, they learn um, a lot of this through um, her son again. 
But in 2018, there was um, a, a seizure on her house um, for information and things like that. So they police went through um, all, and there was a huge investigation. But you froze. You froze. You froze. You froze. You froze. I don't know where I was. Uh, a seizure of evidence on okay. her house. So, um, yeah, there was a huge seizure, search and seizure of her house. They took her things like laptop. Um, and it's funny how you mentioned about burying money because they were bringing dogs to search for all this money that she apparently would have buried. Uh, they never came up with anything. And uh, they went through safes and things like that, and, and she didn't have much. Um, and at this time, her son tells the reporters that had went in 2016 that there was a woman that they had met at the gate, and that was actually his mother. Oh. So that was actually Maria. Um, and by the time they talked to her, um, she's not very lucid. Like, she was able to say her name. She couldn't remember the date. Um, so it, it was hard to kind of get a lot of information from her. Um, and it, it seemed like such a sad situation mm -hmm. um, once they were there. So there, basically, it's like, you know, was Maria Duval scammed herself? You know, was she a victim of her, herself? Um, but... This scam was large, girl. Um, within 2006 to 2014, so eight years, over 56 million letters were delivered. 56 million. Million. Jesus. In the United States, just the United States. And I guess people so one, sending them don't know those numbers, but like, Jesus. Yeah. How do you believe so, some um, I one just, person is answering that? Right? Um, so, oh, I don't know. Um, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So, they obviously saturated uh, with this scam. However, there had been some other scams, um, such as weight loss pro pro uh, products and things like that. Um, so, like I said, it, it was definitely put a stop in 2016, 2014, 2016. Um, however, these are still popping up. Um, mm -hmm. And as I said, the 56 million letters, over 1.4 million people in the United States were scammed. And some of them just lost, you know, 40 bucks off the initial, I want my chart or you know, give me some more information type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but some people lost thousands, thousands of dollars. Um, Jesus. So, so yeah, that's Maria Duval, or should I say many, many companies. And, and I guess that was, uh, CNN reporting too. It was like, you know, the second that they kind of figured out something, it would be shut down and something else would pop back up. So, Jeez. yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure that scam is still going on nowadays, you know, I mean, like I said, there was the name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was, there was definitely a few different sidekicks that were tied to the scam. So. 
Wow. Yeah, I didn't hear none, none of that, considering it isn't that long ago. And pretty well, widespread. Well, and, it, like, right? And if you just go to, like, Maria du- Duval's like, Wikipedia page, you know, there's, like, ten sentences about her. Cause, and it, it just, like, seemed like, oh, like, that's really weird. Like, how yeah. has she scammed so many people? And there's, like, ten sentences about her life. Like, um, but, yeah, digging deeper and kind of learning how how massive massive this was 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 really interesting so so wheel of doom time it is wheel of doom time i put in alcatraz i didn't put prisoners i just put in alcatraz um okay perfect let's add um so it is time for the wheel of doom this is the part where we find out uh where uh, where? What we do next? <laughs> what? Our In my mind, I was going, where next is time? it? Yeah, I was going, where? Where, where did I put it? Um, the Wheel of Doom tells us what our topics are going to be each week or each episode, not every week. Um, <laughs> that way, we know what we're talking about, but we have very different uh, interests in terms of history. I tend to go for more old school. Lauren tends to go for more modern things, so we can pull things from. Please stop licking yourself for like. Doesn't five mean I always pick modern, girl. That's true. You did do. Uh, I've forgotten his name. Lucky Lindbergh. Uh, sorry. I think that still was like more recent. You know, yeah. past hundred years. I mean, so is so. Is Although you stepped up a bit, you yeah. stepped up a bit this time. Yeah. Depends Just on what we get next time. Okay. Wheel of Doom. Are you ready? I am ready. Go. And go. Oh. And the winner is... Poisoning. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So next, ah. next episode will be about... Famous poisonings. Well, so doesn't need to be famous. Well, it is true. It doesn't need to be. Famous. In my it's case, poisoning. I might as well link it to another celebrity, right? Yeah. And you, they have to escape from jail. <laughs> I can't guarantee I can get that. I don't think I can. I can do both. But, um, but yeah. So that's um, that is next week's episode. And um, okay, okay, so we need to follow up with. Hey, if you have any input email us yes um please tell me how terrible i'm doing you're doing great okay no so, i meant like that's what we need to say. <laughs> please email and complain about us yes it will um, make my day <laughs> please follow us uh please follow us on instagram and tiktok at something in the crime parlor in the crime parlor i think it's pretty much yeah it's in the crime parlor on both um so search in the crime parlor give us a follow and uh comment comment if you've got some topics that you would like for us to either add to the wheel of doom or if you have a particular yeah like let's say specific topic yeah or well i meant like case like poisoning if you've got a great poisoning for us let us know yeah if we don't cover it this time, we could cover it next time. Yeah, the Wheel of Doom does not change. We will add a wild card uh, option for 
um, the one-offs too. Um, but yeah, and then you just said the wheel of doom doesn't change. It's definitely going to change. We added Alcatraz, girl. We don't remove. <laughs> Let's say this. We yeah, don't we don't remove. remove we'll, we'll just add, add lots of stuff, and it'll be impossible to read um, by the end of it. But um, yeah, so if you want to email us, it's crimeparlor at gmail dot com. Um, I am Rigger, and uh, friends of the podcast. I just want to chime in here and say we had a bit of technical difficulties at the end of this episode so from rigor mortis and the rest of the in the crime parlor family have a great day and we'll see you next time bye bye